0: Uh, This morning, I have some guys with me, and and they're going to help me demonstrate something for you. It's called the trust fall. And so what we're going to do, you pick these guys, dudes. Just face me. This is Adam, and what he's going to do, he's going to cross his arms, he's going to close his eyes, and he's going to fall backwards and trust that these strong men love him enough that they will catch him. Okay. So are you ready? All right, guys, don't ruin this for me. Or him. Okay, thanks. Go ahead and be seated. All right. Now, if you go home and try this, you first need to understand the concept. Take a look at someone who didn't quite catch the concept. Close
1: your eyes and just fall down, okay? Okay, then Lauren's going to catch you. Okay, it's called the trust fall. Okay, trust fall, ready, set, go. Okay, trust fall, ready, set, go.
0: (laughs) Adam, good job, buddy. All right, so here's the deal. If, If trust is going to be healthy, the key is falling in the right direction. So in these last two weeks, I've asked you to put your faith, put your trust in some truths. To take these truths and put them into your value system. Two weeks ago, I asked you to believe the fact that sex and sexual intimacy is not the main course. Last week... We talked about the fact that God loves my body, and I should treat it in that way. And if you weren't here for these last couple of weeks, please download the podcast, go on our website. It'll give you a really strong foundation for the words I'm speaking this morning. I'm aware that more than likely some of you in this place today, and maybe many of you, are deliberating as to whether or not you're going to believe the truths that I've been talking about. Some of you are saying, well, I'm still going to have sexual partners, and it's going to not be the way you've described it, and God still loves me. Some of you are, are just basically, la, 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 and you don't want to hear it, because if you don't hear it, you're not responsible for it. Some of you are, are thinking, but it's only in that sexual intimacy that I actually don't feel alone. And it is true that when you're involved in a sexual intimacy, there is this glimpse, this sense of what God had designed in the very beginning. Sexual intimacy, as we described in the last couple of weeks, is so that we can be fully known and accepted. It. it is to connect and not be rejected. It is to, as it was stated in the book of Genesis, to be naked and not shamed. The pure design that God has designed for our intimacy, for our sexual intimacy, is described in Genesis this way. Genesis, the second chapter. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. God says, take your trust and fall into this. The reason this works is because it was never just about two people. And I understand, we've talked about this last couple of weeks, that, that this unity, this, this two becoming one flesh has come as a result of the fact that woman was taken from Adam out of his flesh, and there is this drive within us to reunite that flesh. That when that happens in the way that God has designed, there is this, this unifying move that it, it happens psychologically, spiritually, and physically that bonds us together, that those two people together so that they can become a fresh new family unit and remain together as faithful, trusting friends creating this family. You say, but I've, 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 I've experienced that this whole plan doesn't seem to work out because the two don't, don't seem to become one flesh, and there's this breaking away, and, and, and so the statistics say even in the church that over 50% of the people who get married get divorced. I understand that. I understand that when you say, I had to get out because he was abusing me. I totally understand that. I understand when you say, well, she was, she was sleeping around. Yeah, I understand that. And, and some of you are thinking, but, but we get along better if we don't have these long-term commitments. I'm not going to fake my marriage like my parents did. So I'm not going to get married. We're just going to be together. Marriage is extremely fragile when you think it's only about two people. as it would be if you feel like your flight from Erie to Detroit is about two people you and the pilot because somewhere in there you need a plane you need a vehicle there's a great story about Muhammad Ali in his prime he got on an airplane and the flight attendant came to him and said Mr. Ali you need to fasten your seatbelt." He said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. She said, Superman don't need no plane. (laughs) So here's the vehicle that God has designed to make this work. Ephesians 5 says it this way, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And this is a profound mystery because I'm talking about Christ and the church. We have talked about the, facts that, the fact that sexual intimacy has been created by God, so that in our involvement in that, the way that He's designed it in his perfect design, it actually reveals to us who He is, makes us understand Him better. That sex is not what God intended just by itself, or marriage by itself, any more than a window is just a window because it's got to be a window. The window is there to see through it, and so is this intimacy. When we look through the oneness of those two coming together, there is this oneness with God that is just incredible. We've talked about that the last couple weeks. Now, hear me clearly. When, When we do this, when we move within the pure design of God, that intimacy is a worship expression. Now, some of you are going, I'm going to go ask a girl if she wants to go worship. That's what I'm talking about. Don't go there. That when a man who commits himself in a covenant relationship, loves that woman as Christ loves the church, that's worship. That when she respects him the way God designed for him to be respected, that's worship. And it goes way beyond, and what am I going to get out of this marriage? And way beyond, hey, we're going to live together for a while and, and have sex together for a while to make sure we're compatible. It goes way beyond that. This is the foundation upon which a marriage stays solid even in its marital conflict. And there's always marital conflict. So if we're going to understand that, we must understand this principle. What I feel is not the deal. Just say that with me. What I feel is not the deal. If you decide that you're going to let your trust fall into your feelings, you will find yourself in difficult situations. That's why God declared this through the prophet Jeremiah when he said this, the heart is deceitful above all else, all things, and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The heart, as he describes it, is the center of all emotion and decision-making. And he says the heart in the condition it is in you is crooked, it is fraudulent. The base of the word means that it is polluted, it is incurably sick. Who can figure out, really, what the heart is telling us? So in college, before I actually started dating Pam, I was part of a, a musical group, and, and there was a pianist, and she was really gorgeous, and she had a great voice, and she wrote music, and she was extremely talented. And we had this chemistry that, that clicked, and we, we talked with each other and had great connection, except she was dating a senior in college, and we were sophomores. And she just, she liked this guy, and, and so we just kept at close range and talking to each other. But my heart was saying, "Oh, she's the one. She's she's great. She's just oh man. She, she look listen to her sing. Oh, she's gorgeous. And look at her. She just smiled at you, and oh yeah. And and so the heart was saying, she she's the one. So I'm I was convinced she's the one. And I thought, oh you know, he's, she's with a senior, and he's going to graduate, and they're going to get married, and that's just going to be it. And, and he graduated, but then and she left school, but then they broke up. And it just happened that the group that I was part of, that she left, it, we traveled to her hometown that next year, and, and so I got to see her. And, and so my heart was still saying, she's the one, she's the one, she's the one. And so I actually had an, an evening at her house, and I went to her house, and we were talking, and, and the chemistry I thought was there, and my heart was saying, ah, she's the one. And, and so it got later in the evening, and, and we got attracted to each other, and just I'll put it bluntly, we started making out. And about five minutes in, we both said, you know, this is not working, is it? Uh -uh, Let's watch TV. (laughs) That was it. Just boom. See, the heart will deceive us. The heart will lie to us about attraction. It will lie to us about our motives. The human heart is never satisfied. James, the bishop of the first century Jerusalem church, gives us this counsel. He says this in James 4. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight, and you do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Go with me back to the garden. Dad Adam, Mom Eve are there, and they have a great marriage. They have a great worship. They have a great house. They got a great estate. Go to scene two. They've been evicted from their house. They're hiding from God and they're bickering and fighting and blaming each other. What happened? The human heart is never satisfied. James calls it the pleasures, the desires. Paul the Apostle calls it lust. The actual English word for that is hedonism. We want what we want. We we, we carry that thing inside of us like Adam and Eve where we look at it and say, I know I've got all these things, but if only I had that. And that becomes our chief goal. And James says, you get so wrapped up and so obsessed that you will kill for it because you covet it. You don't ask God for it because you know that when you ask God for that thing, you have to filter it through our Father which art in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us. Before you can get to give us, give me, you've got to start out with hallowed be your name. Hallowed means to make sacred everything about me where God will feel where he can reside safely there because everything has been given to him is purity there. It is sacred before him so that your will will be done so that your kingdom will come so that everything, even my ask will be according to the sacredness of this place. And I can't ask that thing because it's not sacred there. I mean, when's the last time you said to God, Oh God, guide me to that pornographic site. When was the last time you said, oh, God, would you, would you provide that opportunity so that I can ask her out and her happens to be your best friend's wife? When was the last time you said, oh, God, help me score tonight? You can't do that because you know you're going to have to take it through that sacred area of, uh, where God resides, and he's not going to help you with that. The heart does not want to let go. It wants to grab hold. And he said, even if you get strong enough and bold enough that you ask God, you don't receive it because it's outside of his perfect design. And anything outside of God's perfect design is idolatry. And he hates idolatry. For he knows that thing will drive you away from the very good. It will move you toward chaos. God is not a prude. God is wise. When God created everything you see around us, he began with chaos. Everything was void. And every sequential step he took led further and further away from chaos. So he started with lights. And then he said, let there be sky. And then, and then he said, let there be land. And, and then from land... He said, let there be vegetation. And then from the vegetation, he said, let there be stars and and the moon. And then he said, let there be sea creatures. And then let there be animals on the ground. And then let there be humanity. And for us to back away from humanity and go back the other direction at any point leads us back to chaos. When Pam and I were first married, we got a hold of a calico kitten we called Sabrina because we liked Charlie's Angels. So we had this calico kitten. Kitten called Sabrina, and we discovered as time went on, we wanted, a, we really did want a calico kitten. We just didn't want a calico cat. And the cat began to just be a mess. And and one day we came home from church, and and the cat was in extreme pain, and 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 the cat was was crying out with a horrible sound, you know that 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 scary sound, and and and. It acted like its back was broken. We thought, the cat's injured itself. And so about 11 o'clock at night, we called the emergency vet, and he said, oh, tell me about it. And we told him, he said, oh, you better bring bring her in. So we brought her in. We got her in there, and he he started to examine the cat, and he finally said, "Uh, I should have probably asked you more questions. He said, have you noticed a lot of other cats around the house? For the first time, our cat was in heat. And she was ready for boyfriends, any boyfriend. So now if we'd have let that cat out, and she had found a boyfriend, and they had done the thing, do you think when they got done, they both had laid down on the grass and had a cigarette? <laughs> and she would have said to him, so how do you think the relationship's going? What's next? No, because they're animals. For us to begin to act like the animal kingdom, to become an animal, a party animal, is to move back toward chaos. God didn't create us to be that way. Something else that God created before us, because anytime we move back to that, we're moving, we're regressing. He, he made angels before us. And angels do not have human bodies, they do not. Have, have the equipment to have children. In fact, when the scriptures talk about the end times and what's going to be happening in the end times, Jesus said these very words in Matthew 22. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like, what? The angels in heaven. So for me to take a view that sex is only for procreation and everything else is a sin is to regress back to chaos. God made sex to be intimate and for us to have physical ecstasy. God created them naked, put them together naked, built them so they could have sex together, and then he said, whew, this is very good. God created it for our enjoyment. God didn't create us either to be a party animal or a buttoned-up Puritan. And any heart that pushes us toward one of those two is fraudulent and sick. God's plan was for us to find someone and to be naked and not ashamed. To take years of peeling back layers of life and to share our lives with each other, to have experience after experience, conversation after conversation. To have forgiveness and acceptance after wounding and misunderstanding. And in becoming one flesh, in our sexual intimacy, we are declaring, I believe you're worth getting to know for the rest of my life. For the rest of our life. And God says, I want you to take your trust and fall into that. If the human heart is never satisfied, then please understand that the God heart is always jealous. How many of you have ever had a broken heart? It just doesn't feel bad emotionally, it feels bad physically. You got this this knot in your stomach, and, and sometimes it's even hard to breathe. And you get nauseous, but at the same time you're nauseous, you want to go eat a gallon of ice cream. It's just a horrible feeling. It tears you up inside. It makes you want to sing country songs. <laughs> songs like this. These are actual. You done tore up my heart and stomped that sucker flat. I sure do miss him, but my aim is improving. (laughs) Actual song. And my favorite, if my nose were full of nickels, I'd blow it all on you. (laughs) I have no idea. Look, all of us feel that heartbreak at some time. And would it surprise you to know that God feels it too? This series is not about rules this series about relationship. God made us to have freedom because you can't force love. So we can choose to love God or choose not to love God. And if we love God, it means that we trust that he will guide us to what is very good. Adam and Eve didn't do that. They said, we're going to do our own thing. And you know how God felt about that happening with them and the family that followed? Genesis 5, 6 records this the lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil at the time and the lord was what grieved that he had made man on the earth and his heart was what filled with pain see we normally think of god as creator judge warrior giver of laws but we really don't ever think about him as jilted lover but he feels it. His heart is full of pain when we say, I don't choose you because if I only had that, I would be better off. As a result of that, he becomes jealous. Again, James, speaking on God's behalf, tells us how God feels about that and the jealousy. He says this in James 4, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Stop, leave it, go back That guys. Go back. Can you do that for me? Thank you. Just read that last line with me, starting with the word anyone. Everybody say that with me. Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Okay, keep moving. Or do you think the scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely, but he gives us more grace? His heart is filled with pain. When Pam was in high school, she dated a guy for two years, and they probably were in love. And It really wasn't a life that Pam wanted to live, and so she broke away from him and went to college, and we met, and we got married. In fact, at our wedding day, and I've told you this before, that as we came out of the reception hall, uh, her old boyfriend was sitting to the side on his motorcycle. He was going to follow us as we leave. My brother-in-law, who's kind of a strong guy, walked over and said, now, Jack and Pam are going this way, and you're going to go that way. And the guy did. He he took off. A couple years later, several years later, Pam went back to Fort Wayne, Indiana. And it just so happened to be the time that was their class reunion. And so I called her one evening, because I wasn't with her. And I said, did you go to the reunion? She said, no. I said, didn't you want to see Scott? She said, no. I said, why? She said, because that was my old world. That was my old life. Here, my new world. I didn't need to do that. So James says, there is this world that you used to live in. That there is this this style of living that has been influenced by the tempter in those days of Adam and Eve that made them give way to their lust, to their pleasure, to the, oh, if only I had that. That you live there and you say, it's not enough, it's not enough, it's not enough, it's not enough. If only I had that, if I had that, and I have this need, I have this need, I have this need, and, and I'll be in charge, I'll be in charge, I'll be in charge. And what God calls that is being an adulterer, trying to live in both worlds, trying to mix worlds, going back to your former lover and then back to God. To have a warm, familiar attitude toward that evil is to be on good terms with God's enemy. And God said, that postures you to hate me that puts you in a place that you now are my enemy so let me be clear if you haven't heard me state it engaging in sexual activity outside the covenant of marriage is to fall in love with the world around us and we can manipulate that and we say but yeah but but, but god still loves me but that's not the issue the issue is do you love him am i breaking his heart Am I causing him pain? In which way am I falling in my trust? I think one of the most respected men in the world, and especially in the United States in several decades, is Billy Graham. Billy had been married to Ruth for about 64 years when she died in 2007. And the amazing thing about Billy Graham is this, wherever he traveled, he never allowed himself to be alone with a woman never in a car, never in an appointment. Whenever he would enter into his hotel room, because he traveled, as you can imagine, all over the world, his team would go in first to make sure that there was not some adoring fan in there or some tabloid setup. Because he had come to the place that he said, hallowed be your name. Even my sexual relationship, my intimacies, will go through the sacredness of who you are. So I want to leave you with a picture of a choice we've got to make. And, and, and could I just, Troy and Denise, can I borrow you for a minute? Will you guys just stand up, Troy and Denise, and, and, and come down here and just stand at the, at the front of this aisle. I didn't warn you in advance we're going to do this because I wanted you to come to church. So, <laughs> yeah. All right, now face that way. Now here's what I want you to do. As they begin to walk down that aisle, I want everybody all around to begin to yell at them. I want you to be yelling at the top of your voice, over here, over here, me, 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 over here, over here. Hey, come this way, come this way. Something to attract their attention. Will you do that? You good? Sure. Okay. All right. You guys start walking, and, you got, and the rest of you, just let them have it. <laughs> okay, you can go in. That's fine. They didn't listen. When you follow Jesus, you're still in this world. And the key is that you focus on him. In the Old Testament, he called it being the apple of his eye. It actually means a little pupil in the the eye, meaning that you're so close to that person that you can see your reflection in their eye. So you're so close to him that you're walking this life because you're going to walk a journey. And surrounding you in this journey are going to be a lot of voices that are in the world. because you're of the world, but you're not in the world. Or in the world, but not of the world. So here, you've got, you've got these voices yelling at you. And believe me, you've got the voices yelling. Jean Kilborn is a doctor of education who writes for the Center for Media Literacy. And I want you to hear what she says. Advertising is a $100 billion a year industry and affects all of us throughout our lives. We are each exposed to over 2,000 ads a day, constituting perhaps the most powerful educational force in society. The average American will spend one and one half years of his or her life watching television commercials. The ads sell a great deal more than products. They sell values, images, and concepts of success and worth, love and sexuality, popularity and normalcy. They tell us who we are and who we should be, and sometimes they sell addictions. Young people also learn a great deal about sexual attitudes from the media and from advertising in particular. Advertising's approach to sex is pornographic. It reduces people to objects and de-emphasizes human contact and individuality. This reduction of sexuality to a dirty joke and of people to objects is the real obscenity of the culture. Although the sexual sell, overt and subliminal, is at a fevered pitch in most commercials, there is at the same time a notable absence of sex as an important and profound human activity. You hear it. So you're walking through life and you're trying to follow Jesus and you're hearing these calls to you. You're hearing, you're watching Big Bang Theory and Leonard and Penny, they're just so cute together and yet they're going to bed all the time, almost every show. And, and you're thinking, oh, that's pretty cool, Penny and Leonard, it's, just, it's great. The geek and the beauty, that's good. I'm a geek, I want a beauty, that's a good thing. And you're watching The Bachelor and he's down to four and down down to three and, 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 and he loves all four immensely, which is just weird to me. I think he lusts after four. And then he gets a little note, he hands her and says, if you want, you can have an overnight date. Woo! That'll, that'll really let you know how well you know each other. You got friends that'll tell you that friends with benefits is a great thing. It's just, it's, just, it's recreation. If you hook up tonight, you won't be lonely. And you get these voices telling you that, that okay, it's, it's, it's not intercourse, it's just the other stuff, and that's okay, and it's, it's not his design. So what do you do with that? Because he's calling you, I mean, whether you recognize it or not, he's calling you to, to a vision. He's calling you to, to a choice. James goes on and def- defines where our trust should fall. For he says this, submit yourselves then to God, Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Come near to God and he'll come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Says, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to purify your hearts. I want you not to fall into your heart and follow your feelings. I want you to take your heart and fall and let it fall into God. Let him decide for you. Let him, let him point you in the right direction. Let your emotions follow what God said. I mean, he's got a whole, whole list of scriptures where he says, take your heart, put it in there, and let that thing direct you. Oh, yeah, but I just, I'm going to tell you something. If you get in a place sexually where it, it, it becomes your passion versus reason, passion will always win. That's why the scripture is there, to take the heart, put it there, so the boundaries are there, so you don't get in that mess. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. It means you can't go back and forth. You can't go back and forth. You can't go back and forth. You can't do that. Come near to God. He'll come near to you and say, yeah, but I just I messed up so badly. Why would he even want me back? I want to go back to that. one of those scriptures we read, that God jealousy longs for the spirit that he made to live in us. God is jealous and he wants us. God's grace goes deeper than his pain. You've got Adam and Eve naked, and they're saying to each other, now, what will you do with me? And you have God in flesh, naked, hanging on a cross, saying, what will you do with me? He is not jealous in the sense that he is stalking you, saying, I'm going to make you pay. He doesn't stalk. Instead, he sits on a hillside overlooking his people and he cries and he says, if only you knew how much I just wanted to hold you and protect you. And he's already paid by hanging on that cross. So how do we let our trust fall that way to him? He said, I want you to wash your hands and I really believe that means I want you to confess and I want you to just say, oh God, this is who I am before you. And then I want to ask your forgiveness for my sexual sin. I want to ask for your healing for my sexual brokenness. I, I want to ask you for freedom for my sexual bondage. But it starts with falling in the right direction, making that choice. So the question is, how do we, how do, we do this? What do we, what do we choose? So I'm going to ask the band to come back up. And I'm going to ask you to make a decision today about the totality of your life. You're walking with Jesus, and you've got all sorts of voices telling you to do other things. And this morning, I'm going to ask you to make a choice. I'm going to ask you to say between the culture and Jesus. In fact, I'd like you to do this way. I want you to say, Jesus, between the culture and you, I choose you. Which means you can't go back and forth. You can't continue in the process you've been going. You cannot continue to have sexual partners. You can't do the stuff you know you can't do. Just don't, you can't. And we're here to help walk you through it, but you can't do it. And you say, I, I can't, I, I don't know if I can stop. Well, the first thing to do is make a decision that you're not going to go that way anymore and we'll help you through that. You heard prophetic words earlier That is, especially as we're getting closer to the, the return of Jesus and we are getting very close to that. The scripture tells us that, that times are going to become more intense and it's going to be harder to follow Jesus unless we root ourselves down now and begin to live in a solid walk with him. It's going to be much more difficult to resist what's coming our way. This is not a religion. This is not a list of rules. This is an intimate relationship with God and he's calling you to sell yourself out to him and not go the other way. And he said, I'm not going to let you go back and forth because I will count it as hatred and I'll count you as an enemy. And I don't, I don't want to be an enemy of God. So would you stand? And I'm going to ask the band to begin to play in just a moment and as they do, and as they begin to sing, I'm going to ask you if you would like to make a statement today. Jesus, between the culture and you, I choose you. I want you to take a step of faith and come and stand right here and make a declaration, I choose you. Now, some of you may not be making it out of the pews or you got to do something else. We're not going to look at you and say, oh, you didn't choose. not going to do that. But if that needs something you need to do today, then come and stand here as they begin to sing. Even now, some are coming. You come and just say, Jesus, I choose you. Come on. here's what I want you to do. This week as you are just doing your daily stuff, I want you at all times to picture yourself with Jesus, this lover, this protector, this Lord, this King, whose heart is wide open to you and can be wounded by you. And you're walking and you're hearing all these voices and you're watching some programs or you're hearing advertising and you're hearing friends talk on campus. When you hear that, you have a choice to make at that moment. Which way will you fall? Will you fall into his arms and say, only you? Or will you fall the other way? Because I'm going to tell you, you fall the other way. No one's going to catch you there. And you will wound yourself. And so from this point on, every moment, say, I'm falling in you. I'm falling in you. And if you mess up, get back up and say, I'm falling in you. And see what God does in your life this week. So, Father... We made some decisions in this place today and we ask that you will give us now the power of your Holy Spirit to live out what we've decided. And in those strategic moments, make us sensitive to the voices we're hearing and the invitations that are coming, that we can resist them so that we can purify our hearts, that we can wash our hands, that we will not be divided. But firmly in your grasp. Thank you that your grace is deeper than the pain we've created for you. Thank you for your healing. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your freedom. We seal our future in your name. We walk with you. We follow you. In your name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.